before I jump into this week's topic, I wanted to mention that this is my first podcast episode ever. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to try to do it anyway and figure it out as I go. I'm feeling a little nervous about it, so excuse my mess-ups and quaky voice. I don't know why I'm so nervous, really, but I get those imposter syndrome thoughts like, what if no one listens? What if this is embarrassing and people are, like, laughing at me? What even qualifies me to, like, talk about life publicly like this? But how is anyone supposed to get good at something or open any doors into other realms of the world if they first don't try it and suck at it? So I just kind of let those thoughts exist and then continue to do whatever I want anyway. (laughs) I'm really excited you decided to take some time today and listen to this first episode. I'm just going to talk and this is unedited at this point so bear with me as I am on my learning curve. I'm literally sitting in my room talking into my phone on a free podcasting app but I hope as time goes on and I get a little more comfortable I'll learn more about the technology aspects of podcasting and this show will evolve into a really great podcast and I have can have guests on too. So thanks for joining me on this journey. I appreciate you being here. It really does mean a lot to me. So I'm assuming you saw the episode title, but if you didn't, surprise, we are talking about one of my favorite topics ever, periods. I think it'll get your gears turning around the process, hopefully encourage you to view it in a different, more positive way, and most importantly, maybe talk about it with others. I think anyone will be able to get a little something out of it. Even for those who do not have periods, if you live with someone who does or you are raising a child who will have a period one day, this might get you started in learning about it. I also wrote this out keeping in mind my language so you might even be able to use this as a tool to have the talk with your children. You can listen to it together in the car or have them listen to it on their phone. My kids seem to always tell me their deepest, darkest life secrets in the car, so that's why I suggested that. As a disclaimer, I wrote this episode for those who have experienced periods but were unfortunately never taught or shamed or still don't fully understand what might be happening in their own bodies. So I talk about specific hormones and mention men and women in a more traditional experience because that was my experience growing up. I fully support anyone living in any way they want and whatever identity makes them happy and if you think the use of those words in a more traditional way might be a little triggering, I wanted to let that be known now so no one is caught off guard. Okay, so I'll first go over what a period is and what is happening in our bodies all throughout the month. Then I will go through the responses I received from my social media posts, asking people for their experiences with their periods. And then after, I'll explain some history of the period, some controversial thoughts and roles society plays when it comes to periods. And then I'll leave with some ideas on what to do going forward to make periods a little less awkward for the younger generation. 
after the episode, if you want to contribute to this conversation, you can head over to my Facebook page, The Moms Are Not Alright, and you can leave a comment about your experience on the episode post I created, or you can send me a message. Either way, I want to hear your stories. I created a period tracker guide that you can find on my Facebook and Instagram at The Moms Are Not Alright, And I also shared a cool video on my Instagram stories that demonstrates the process I'm about to discuss. It's saved in the period E1 highlights. I will also have this episode transcribed as a blog post so you can reference it again later. You can find that at the Moms Are Not Alright website, which is www.themomsarenotallrightpodcast.com. With all that being said, I'm going to dive into the information segment of this episode. It's a lot, but I think it's super interesting. Alright, what is a period? A period happens because of changes in hormones in the body. The ovaries release a hormone called estrogen and progesterone. And those hormones cause the lining of the uterus to build up and get ready for a fertilized egg to attach to and start developing. If there is no fertilized egg, the lining breaks down and slides out of the uterus, basically. The same process happens all over again every month-ish until menopause. For this episode, we're not going to talk about menopause or pregnancy and just focus on menstruating and the period cycle. So there are four phases to every period cycle. The actual bleeding part is the part everyone kind of knows about and sees and might think that's the only part, but it's just one part out of a four-part cycle. The four phases can vary a bit by individual, but the order that they happen in is pretty much the same. So first phase is menstruation, day one through five. Second phase is the follicular phase, day one through 13. Third phase is uh, ovulation, day 14. And lastly, the luteal phase, day 15 through 28. Menstruation, day 1 through 5, is the beginning. First day of bleeding is day 1 of the new cycle. This is when your progesterone plunges, which causes the uterine lining to shed. During this time, your energy plunges along with your insides, and you may not have as much energy as the rest of the month. In this phase, you may be more likely to like skip the gym or might not be as active after work. I don't want to say I like the first stage of my period, but this time of the month when I'm literally shedding my insides and starting new, it feels like a good reflection time and I find myself thinking about what I want for this next month, thinking a lot about the future, what daily habits I want to incorporate or continue when the bleeding stops, things like that. It's kind of like I have 12 new years throughout the year, a little bit. (laughs) Like my timing and goal setting is based on my periods. (laughs) This phase is more of a natural rest and reflect time for me. I tend to go to bed earlier during this time and the house might be a disaster during that first phase because i rather sleep than clean and do chores when the kids go to bed. But it's temporary and I really have just been going all in on reflecting and meditating and I don't know, this phase just brings out a weird like 
wanting to connect with myself more. I don't know. Let me know how you feel about the first phase. Am I the only one that gets that way? I feel like I can't be the only one, right? I also watch TV during this phase too, and I am not a huge TV person, but except in this phase and the couple days leading up to this phase, so I kind of subconsciously like give myself permission to veg, and I look forward to watching TV, so I use this time to catch up on my shows. I had a lot of comments from people saying they hate their period, so I might be a bit of an oddity, but maybe reframing the way we can think about it might make it a little less miserable. Like if you think of it as a goal tracker or permission for guilt-free laziness and rest, you might look forward to it a little bit more. (laughs) Maybe that's a stretch, but let me know what you think. The second phase is the follicular phase, days 1 through 13. This phase starts the first day of menstruation and ends with ovulation. It's called the follicular phase because your pituitary gland, which is a small gland at the base of your brain, releases a hormone called follicle-stimulating hormone. And if you ever see lab work, it might be labeled FSH. This hormone stimulates the follicles in your ovaries to mature. This hormone produces 10 to 12, 10 to 20 follicles in each ovary, and each follicle houses an immature egg. A follicle is kind of like a sack of fluid that kind of sprouts up during this time. Think of like little growths on the ovaries. These follicles produce the hormone estrogen, which thickens the lining of the uterus in preparation to receive a fertilized egg. Estrogen and testosterone start to rise during this phase. This will bring you a boost of energy and can often improve your mood. Testosterone stimulates your libido, so this is a good time to schedule hangouts with friends or big projects you might have on the horizon. I always noticed I am more excited and energized and actionable when the bleeding stops, And I always thought maybe because I rested, I was able to then be more energetic. But now I see it's part of the hormonal process. So I've embraced it at this point. I don't fight it anymore and I just work around it. But I used to get kind of frustrated with myself. Like, why can't I be this energized and motivated all the time? I would accuse myself of being lazy and unmotivated. But now I have a more like better understanding that it you know what's going on and I have a very go with the flow approach to it all now next is ovulation ovulation occurs 12 to 16 days before the following period but not necessarily in the middle of the cycle the term ovulation indicates the formation of a mature egg by one of the ovaries by mature I mean hopefully it's got the goods to become a baby The release of estrogen during the follicular phase causes the brain to produce a gonadotrophin-releasing hormone that prompts the pituitary gland to produce raised levels of the luteinizing hormone. This release extracts the mature egg from the follicle and transports it from the ovary to the fallopian tube. If fertilization does not occur during this phase, 
the egg continues to the uterus and dissolves within 6 to 24 hours. This part of the process is probably my most favorite. If you know me, you probably know that I've donated my eggs. That process kind of started my interest in learning more about the whole cycle because I instantly became aware that I knew nothing about the period process that happens inside of me every month for so many years. So I was kind of like a sponge during my appointments and would ask questions and had awesome doctors who would explain everything to me because they knew I was interested. Some would turn the ultrasound screen to point things out to me as they documented everything. It was so cool. The whole thing was just super inspiring to me. So I want to explain a little bit more here. Women are born with all the eggs and follicles they will ever have. You can't produce more than what you have at birth. Those with ovaries have about 1 to 2 million eggs in each ovary. Then over the course of their lives, the supply depletes. All the eggs are immature and must turn mature through that hormonal process I just briefly explained. If you ever have an ultrasound on your ovaries and you've seen the follicles, they are like fluid-filled sacs. And I feel like the best way I could describe it is they kind of look like honeycombs when you got a lot of them. And you can't see the egg in the ultrasound. It's super tiny floating around in the fluid. But when you get, if you go through IVF, you have to take a hormone that makes these follicles larger so the eggs are easier to extract. The follicles and eggs that don't make it to the fallopian tubes die off or they like disintegrate back into your body after the cycle's done. I'm not sure the technicalities, but they are reabsorbed somehow and go away. Sometimes you can get two mature eggs that end up in the fallopian tubes and that is one way you can end up with twins. But your body produces and gets rid of many eggs every single month until they are all gone, which I didn't know before donating. I always thought it was just one at a time. So the nice thing about donating is that your body was going to kill off these eggs anyway, that they wouldn't have been able to be used, but by donating, they have a shot at becoming a baby for someone. So I thought that was neat. Moving on to our third phase, ovulation, your body temperature may rise slightly. Some people have cramping during this time and experience some PMS symptoms. Sometimes people experience heightened or lower libido. Your hormones also change your cervix and the texture of your cervical mucus. So you might have some surprise egg whites in your underwear during this phase. Women release mucus all throughout the cycle for so many reasons. Discharge is actually kind of cool. It is meant to clean, moisten, prevent, and fight infections. We need it. It's a good thing. We release about four milliliters of discharge every day. It's our vagina's way of self-cleaning. It's very acidic and you can see that sometimes in your underwear, like little light spots will show up on your dark underwear. That happens from discharge that might be left on the underwear that's been sitting in the hamper. So then when you go to do your laundry, you have like a little bleach spot. But it's because discharge is acidic and that is on purpose. The acid is meant to protect us from bacteria, which 
I think it's just wicked cool. <laughs> it feels very similar to like a Venus flytrap to me. I'm getting Poison Ivy villain vibes from this. So moving on to our final stage, this is the luteal phase. During this phase, your LH luteinizing hormone is being produced by the pituitary gland that I previously mentioned. It surges and causes the follicles to swell and then rupture, from which the mature egg bursts out and heads down the fallopian tube, and a large quantity of progesterone and some estrogen gets released from the follicles when they burst. Those two hormones help thicken the lining of the uterus and maintain its thickness. But if fertilization does not occur, there are these other cyst-like things called the yellow body that form right after your egg leaves the follicles and they secrete luteum, which causes progesterone levels to decrease, leaving the uterine lining less sticky. So the lining then falls away and a new menstrual cycle begins. You're now you're back to bleeding. So there's a term everyone has heard at some point about women PMSing if she's angry or annoyed. A lot of people associate it with the bleeding part of the cycle, but it happens before too. It can run into the week you're menstruating, but PMS is called premenstrual syndrome. But what is that exactly <laughs> other than like an insult thrown at you when you're not gleefully skipping around smiling and someone's like, hur, 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 they must be PMSing. The hormone flux during all these stages can cause some physical and mental changes, including breast tenderness, diarrhea, constipation, bloating and gas, cramps, headaches, backaches, fluid retention, fatigue, acne, irritability, trouble sleeping, changes in appetite, difficulty concentrating and remembering, stress and anxiety, mood swings, and also depression or sadness. I think anyone having a handful or all of those symptoms at once would be 100% justified in not being in an active or cheery mood. It's important to know that this might be how you feel that week prior to bleeding during that luteal phase, so maybe don't schedule a hike or a big social party that week if you can avoid it. Obviously, the world doesn't work around your period, but making small shifts like knowing to take your own car out for the night versus riding with someone else in case you're tired and moody and you want to leave early, things like that to me can make or break an experience. I have found knowing what is going on with my body and my moods, it's helped me navigate the world a little better, and hopefully all this info can help you too. So men's hormones are on a 24-hour cycle, so their testosterone is higher in the morning and lowers as the day goes on, which works hand-in-hand -hand with the way society is run. I don't think that is a coincidence. I think that society is a product of that cycle, along with sunlight. Men have largely run the world for all of history, so it makes sense that work and productivity match their hormone cycle. But women's hormones fluctuate a lot more, as we learned, and even so, we are still working around that 24-hour you know, time clock. I would always sit at my desk, and this is pre-pandemic, and I'd look around and just wonder if anyone could tell that I was currently bleeding. Like, here I am in an open office setting, 
doing the same work as Joe Schmo in the desk in front of me, but I must do the task while also bleeding out in my chair. And I can't mention that to anyone. I just have to sit there and silently power through it. Like there have been times I was having full-blown conversations with people, looking them dead in the eye, while also trying to not draw any attention to the fact that I could feel blood pooling in my underwear. Like, am I the only person that thinks that's bizarre? Like, I would have loved to stop and be like, oh, I'm bleeding right now. Can you give me a minute to check on this and I'll be right back? But no one wants to be the weird period person at work. Except for maybe me. I kind of want to. (laughs) So two unrelated and interesting points about periods I want to address in this episode. First being period poops. I was looking up why your bowel movements might be a little different during this time of the month, and I guess it has to do with fatty acids known as prostaglandins begin to relax and smooth muscle tissue inside your uterus to help it shed its lining, but those same fatty acids can have a similar impact on your bowels. Progesterone can also cause constipation in some people, But cramping, bloating, water retention, hormones changing, it can affect your stomach. So there's probably a good reason for it and you're probably normal. Your appetite might also be affected by this process. You might not be very hungry or you might be extra hungry. Take notice of how you feel in relation to the timing of the month. You can start to navigate it a little better. For example, don't buy a bunch of produce and things that need to be cooked right away if you won't have much of an appetite for a couple days or you know that you crave sweets and salts and won't really be interested in making a salad. I've done that before, so hoping to spare you the same sad veggie fate. Second topic I want to address is having sex on your period. This is not only safe and normal, but it can have a lot of benefits, such as relief from cramps, and you might have a shorter period from muscle contractions and massages pushing contents out faster. Uh, You might have an increased sex drive, and your period can actually act as a natural lubricant. So I encourage anyone who's ever thought about doing that on their period, I'd encourage you to try it out and see how you like it. So moving on to the response from social media, I asked my followers on social media to tell me everything and anything they wanted to share or know about periods, and I must have gotten 20 messages from women, no men, which isn't surprising to me, but there were a couple similarities between almost all the stories shared. First, most said that when they got their period, they didn't tell anyone, not a parent or sibling. Some said they told their friends, but there was only a couple of people that said they actually told their parent they had it. And this is really sweet too. Two people told me their parents like made a day of it, like took them out of school and went to McDonald's or shopping. And I think that's really sweet. I love the idea of a parent celebrating it rather than hiding it. The second common experience is that they did not learn about periods from their parent. They learned from school, a friend, or had no idea what it was at all. There was only a couple people that said their parent gave them a book or their parent actually told them what it was. 
I related to both of these themes a lot because I had a similar experience as well. So I went to Catholic school and switched to a new public school and I don't really remember having a health class or at least one that talked about periods and I'm wondering if I missed the mark like passing ships when I switched schools but I feel like not having super in-depth period education is a real missed opportunity. I feel like I it would have helped me so much. I'm aging myself here, but I vividly remember watching this episode of Seventh Heaven around the age of starting my period, and one of the sisters was looking forward to getting her period and actively trying to get her period by standing upside down and talking openly with her family about it. And I remember feeling like, why would someone want this and look forward to this? How is everyone in the family talking about it so normally and, and nicely? The dad and the brothers talked about it so casually, but the men in my family were so awkward about it. No man in my life, or woman in my life for that matter, ever talked about it, ever. I always thought that's just how it was. And then after seeing the Seventh Heaven episode, I thought, maybe that's not how it is. Maybe that's just me and my family. So I was a little comforted by the responses from everyone. It makes me feel a little less weird, but at the same time, it makes me feel sad. There's just this whole group of women in the world that are just left to navigate this on their own. And little did I know, my sister had been getting her period for a year or so before me, and she also didn't feel like she could talk to me about it. I mean, we're so close now, and I don't think there's anything off the table for discussion at this point in my life. So it really makes me sad to think about that. Like, I, I hate that. Why did we feel that way? Like, I remember feeling embarrassed, and like, everything happening to me was weird and uniquely catastrophic to me in some way, and I couldn't even bring myself to talk about it. I made a friend the year after I got my period who was very open about her periods um, and she would talk about it to her mom and even her dad sometimes and they would let her stay home uh, from school when she had bad cramping days and I always remember feeling it was so strange that she could be so open even around her dad and now I think it was just a little I was just a little jealous she had that environment and I didn't. This is a bit dramatic, but I almost felt like having my period, I was doing something wrong. Like that my period was something too disrespectful to talk about. And I'd be in trouble if I talked about it in front of a teacher or like a grandma. I didn't have good feelings like on 7th Heaven. My whole family didn't seem to either. There is an element of shame to it that... I've always had, and I can't exactly put my finger on it, but I do know when I search the word period in my local mom's page, more anonymous posts show up than not anonymous. Even as adult mothers asking other adult mothers for advice or asking if they are alone in their period issues, people still feel the need to kind of hide when discussing it with a group that would understand more than any other. Like, half the population is bleeding 
and no one can talk about it. And we all just walk around pretending that isn't happening. And I believe there's a few reasons for this. To understand the present, I will review some brief history of periods. This avoidance and shame is not unique to the modern day. Menstruation has a very, very long history of shame and negative connotation. The first written account of menstruation was shown in ancient civilizations, but because only men were able to read and write, things got a little skewed. In European and Christian cultures, menstruation was thought to be a punishment from God, passed all the way down from the sins of Eve in the Bible. And there are quotes in the Bible about periods being dirty and consequences if you associate with people when they're on their period. Uh, I just picked this one in Leviticus. It's stated that a woman undergoing menstruation is perceived as unclean for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean. Here's one from the Quran, the cow chapter, which is a chapter based on a fight between Moses and Israelites regarding what cow they should sacrifice. And it says, keep aloof from the women during the menstrual discharge and do not go near them until they have become clean. Then when they have cleansed themselves, go into them as Allah has commanded you. There is a similar sentiment in all the religions that stem from Judaism, which is what so many civilizations are founded on, and a lot of people today still base their lives and morals and beliefs on these religious texts, so it's no wonder these ideas haven't really disappeared yet. It's very deeply rooted in our societies, globally. A lot of ancient practices included removing the menstruation women from their home or community to go through the cycle in isolation. It was thought menstruating could spoil crops and wine, so the woman would have to go live in these menstruating huts away from the community. In an anthropology book I recently read, it said that some cultures had nice huts and took good care of the women, and they would be excited to go to these little like isolation areas because it was a bit of a vacation to hang out with their friends and not have to do their normal chores. But uh, when I was looking up menstruation huts online, I came across this NPR article that popped up and it's from 2019. Uh, 2019, Nepal had its first arrest connected to the practice of exiling women to sleep in a hut behind their home during menstruation. So this practice that I read about in my books isn't actually ancient at all. It's a new law they put into place to squash the practice, but it's going to take some time for that mindset to shift. I guess several women are killed every year in Nepal because the practice of exiling women from their homes to these huts or sheds during menstruation, they're, they're put there because they're believed to be unclean. And... While sleeping in the huts, women are at risk of snake bites, physical assault, freezing temperatures, and suffocation because of lack of ventilation. It's dangerous. And the article mentioned that a study that surveyed 400 19-year-old West Central Nepali girls and young women, they actively participate in the menstrual exile, and while 60% of them are aware that the practice is now illegal, that knowledge made them no less likely to practice it due to pressure from family and risk of punishment. 
I found another um, article on NPR from May 25th, 2022, and it said in a survey of 4,000 boys and young men ages 16 to 25 from four different countries, Brazil, Indonesia, Netherlands, and Uganda, the most common reason cited for avoiding the topic of menstruation is that boys feel it's a private matter for girls and women. The respondents also admitted they frequently associate periods with words such as dirty, 55%, embarrassing, 31%, and disgusting, 38%. In my life, as a child and as an adult, I've heard these same words, expressions, and sentiments from men that are near and dear to me. You'd think we'd be past this by now, and while huts may not be practiced in the U.S., dismissing someone's frustrations and feelings, both mental and physical, due to PMS, blaming every negative emotion or characteristic on periods, or parents deciding dad is going to be kept from all things period, is still harmful to people, and mostly children. We're talking about children, 10 to 12-year-olds. Like, cutting off a child's access to a male parent for help and guidance because the parent finds periods too icky or embarrassing, you know, I don't think it registers to the child as periods are icky. I think it registers as I'm icky because you cannot remove the child from the process or the process from the child the process becomes something they can't talk about a fear of being disrespectful or not being empathetically received or their child is made to feel embarrassed and then we wonder why girls have such issues with confidence when they become adults i want to highlight a nice period story i got when asking about it on my instagram One woman told me how her sisters were teasing her a bit and asked if she had gotten her period and she didn't want to tell them she got it so she replied to the teasing by saying she didn't have her period yet and her dad overheard her and took her aside later to ask her if she needed to see a doctor if everything was okay because she was a little older and should have gotten it. So shout out to those dads stepping out of their comfort zones to make sure they have happy, healthy kids And thank you for sharing that story with me. I wanted to talk about period inequality, a nationwide online survey that was sent out in Australia to collect information from 4,000 young women aged 13 to 25 who are in various types of school, said that more than one-third of young women said that they missed at least one class in the past three months due to menstrual symptoms, including pain and fatigue. 60% of the women in the survey said they wouldn't feel comfortable speaking to a teacher or lecturer about how their period was affecting them. There's also period poverty. This is when women can't afford the hygiene products needed to keep themselves or their homes clean and sanitary during the period. Poverty itself is a stress that you can't understand unless you live it. It puts people at such a disadvantage and then when you add on to the adversity with monthly bleeding cycle that requires additional sanitary products possibly new clothes if there's a leak require more water or more frequent showers and causes children to miss school or distract them during school it's another obstacle added on to that person to successfully function in society All the corporate offices I have worked for have provided them in the bathroom, which I always take note of, and I think it's so great. 
I wish we could bring that same energy to schools. I feel like period products could almost fall under healthcare. I love the idea of menstrual cups and period underwear because it's less waste and a cost savings over time, but they are so expensive and people struggling to put food on the table might not have the funds to invest in those products. I'm looking up cups right now and they range from 10 to 11 at Walmart to 30 for brands like Salt and Flex at Target, where a Walmart brand of 48 count super pads is $3.88. So I wish insurance would like cover some of these items for women, you know. This feels a little related, so I wanted to mention the pink tax as well as the price difference between women's hygiene products and men's hygiene products, such as razors, shampoos, lotions, shaving cream, deodorant, clothing, and vitamins that are all marketed towards women versus the public are a little more expensive. I read an article on Mint that shared some findings from an article in Forbes that women pay an estimated $1,300 more than men a year for the same products. The New York City Department of Consumer Affairs found that a pack of women's razors would cost an average of $8.90, while men's would only cost $7.99. But there's some good news. Despite everything I just mentioned, based on 2019 numbers, there are more women getting degrees than men, like way more. Like I'm talking double digits of women versus men in some degree categories. I put a link to it in the blog post. But women's wages are increasing and women are becoming more educated and getting better jobs overall. So I'm feeling hopeful for the future. <laughs> Something interesting I discovered looking up periods was that children today are getting their period for the first time at a younger age than ever before. And the ages keep getting younger and younger. The average age of someone who got their period for the first time in 1995 was 12.1 verse 11.9 from 2013 to 2017. 7% of women had their periods before age 10 in 1995, and that increased to 10% in 2013 to 2017. This is from the CDC. I'll post that link too. So the talk will probably need to happen before the child's 10, which is fourth grade-ish. Disney released a movie called Turning Red that mentions periods, which could be a conversation starter for younger ones. That movie had a lot of um, passionate reviews online from parents, but I thought it was awesome, and I related to it, and I would have probably loved it as a kid. Also, I loved the idea of celebrating it rather than hiding it. Going out to celebrate in some way, I think, might create happier feelings around it versus keeping it private and giving swept under the rug vibes. I saw some videos online of parents throwing their daughter's period parties, and maybe that's an option for your kid, but depending on your kid, maybe absolutely not. I would like to now, as an adult, have a period party. <laughs> I mean, it all varies how you deliver the news and how you treat the first time based on your child. I was a little more sensitive as a kid and I'm glad no one told me I would have painful cramps because I feel like the anticipation of pain would have not done great things for me. But some kids are curious and not afraid so maybe you could explain the facts and you know before they have their period. I think either way mentioning it before they have it 
and making a plan on what to do before they have it will be really beneficial and help make the first time a little less scary. And maybe if you can plan some type of celebration and, you know, tell them about it and that anticipation, the anticipation of the bleeding is a little less gloomy because they also have the anticipation of like a fun day. And I would include the whole family. I don't think boys should be excluded from knowing about it. For me, it was hard to hide it when you have little ones who follow you into the bathroom all the time. I just used those situations to educate. I never hid it because these boys may end up married to a woman one day or might raise a woman one day. And I want them to be equipped and not make those women feel weird about something their body does. So go home and leave a bloody pad out on the floor or something for a little exposure therapy. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sort of. Something I thought was very cool was my husband bought me new period underwear for Christmas. And obviously opening presents and having those out in my room. My kids asked what it was and it started a convo about, you know, periods and products. So shout out to my husband. He's a real team player. So in conclusion, I gave a brief overview of periods, but hopefully you were inspired to research more or talk to your friends about it. I really do believe talking about things and learning about things uh, just eliminates any shame that might be associated with it, not just with this topic, but overall in life. And that's really what I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast. So thanks so much for being here and listening to my thoughts and ramblings and findings. Please give me any feedback, good or bad, by leaving a review or sending me a DM. Next week, I'll be talking about another societal norm close to my heart, which is beauty standards. Where do they come from? Why I don't wear makeup anymore? And how your beauty can affect your job, earnings, and opportunities. If that intrigues you, please consider subscribing and following my social media pages and get updates and see the newest episodes pop up and when they're released. So thank you so much again, and I appreciate your patience as I learn and grow with this. I'll see you next week.